Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, we dim the lights, open a bottle of wine, and reveal our vibes. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. We've got a good show for you today. We are going to be talking about the news from the week, including a new Switch Lite that has been announced, and the next game from the creators of Celeste. And then on Thursday, Kid Icarus Month continues for real this time with Kid Icarus of Myths and Monsters for the Game Boy. But Mark, in the meantime, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um... Have you, Patrick, have you and Sarah had cauliflower rice? Have we had cauliflower rice? Yeah. That's the question. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I guess I don't think so. Is that okay. a, a rice made from cauliflower? It's a rice substitute. Like, people use it in place of rice. And mm -hmm. um, it is, I had it for the first time this past week. And I would say that it is effective, but I'm fairly confident that it is just like, cauliflower cut up into tiny like rice size pieces sure. yeah. which is an effective illusion and in fact i'm guessing that it's even like the stems of cauliflower right like not the uh the floret because <laughs> not the I tree part yeah. not the tree yeah. part because i imagine that that like is even better for giving you that like consistency and so um i'm into it but also i feel a little bit duped like i feel like i'm probably paying an exorbitant amount for uh, cauliflower mm. stems, which otherwise is everybody's least favorite part of the cauliflower. It's the garbage, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's tough because there's less of it in a head of cauliflower than there is in like a head of broccoli, right? That's like, true. Broccoli, broccoli is so much stalks, whereas <laughs> like, because, you know, it's like a real like plant thing, whereas the cauliflower is like a bulb. Yeah, that's true. Um, oh, that, you know, that's true. Maybe I'm being, un I'm being too harsh on uh, yeah, the that's cauliflower right. rice industry. <laughs> um, a, a couple months ago, my buddy Andrew went through a phase where he was trying to sell me on cauliflower crust pizzas, um, which I've had a few times and always hate. Yeah. So I, it's, I, I can't, I, I am skeptical also then of this cauliflower rice. I, so rice, I think, is a more effective application because it is essentially oh. just cauliflower. Um, the enough. cauliflower pizza crust, I've only had like the the pizza that you'd like the frozen ones that you buy uh, at the grocery store and then bake myself, and I feel like maybe that is my mistake. Um, maybe I need to have a. This well is what prepared... he's trying to sell me. This <laughs> is what he's trying to sell me on. Like I don't know why he's like it's pretty good. I'm like I don't I don't I don't believe you. Yeah, I feel like I need a well prepared one because the ones that I make at home are like soggy and gross. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of soggy and gross, my copy of Sonic Forces, would you like to borrow it? You can certainly try. All you got to do is email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at gmail.com gmail and give us a mailing address where we can send you my copy of this game for the Nintendo Switch. You can play it for as long as you want, and then you send it back. And this is really the speaking of uh, wet and gross, um, is that there might be an untitled goose game in there that you have to play instead of Sonic Forces. Also, you know, be forewarned. You don't have to do anything. 
there are no rules to the Sonic Forces borrowing program. It's the perfect program. Um, so sign up for that. Email us. Here's what's going on this month. I mentioned it uh, earlier, but we are in the midst of Kid Icarus Month. We were derailed for a moment, but we are, Mark, we are back on track. And this Thursday, we will be discussing discussing Kid Icarus of Myths and Monsters for the Game Boy. It is available on the 3DS um, eShop and I think probably nowhere else, um, but it's like four bucks. So, uh, you know, uh, pick it up, play along. We'll be talking about it on Thursday. And then next week, April 29th, we will be discussing Kid Icarus Uprising. Also on, on the 3DS. And I'm excited to talk about both of those games. I'm really excited to talk about Kid Icarus of Myths and Monsters chomping at the bit after uh, champing at the bit. We'll never know. Um, after we weren't able to talk about it last week, I know that I, I think we're still under an oath of secrecy on our feelings yeah. about of myths and monsters. So I'm, uh, I'm really excited to be able to talk about it finally. I know me too. Uh, ha- having to put it off for that indie world showcase was borderline torture because we <laughs> wanted to talk about it last week on Tuesday. Yeah. But we're sworn to secrecy. Truly bittersweet announcement of a Nintendo presentation. Um, all right. Uh, well, Mark, let's get into what we've been playing this week. Okay, so I think obviously we have both been playing Kid Icarus Uprising, but I think we are similarly sworn to secrecy on our experience with that. Although I would like to know, um, how are you playing it? Are you, are you using any physical props to help you play? I'm not because I don't have it's it, I don't have like any physical props that would really help me in playing it and I've got to say th- that makes it challenging sometimes. You should get a prop. <laughs> <laughs> because the, the way you have to like hold the 3DS um in order to play this game uh is yeah, it's just really challenging. And which, is, yeah. you know, that's not a new observation, but like uh, I had heard it, but I never tried to play the game myself before. And now trying to play it, um, I get the criticism. I 100% get it. Yeah. And, and your 3DS is an XL, right? It is. Yeah. It's the uh, original Nintendo 3DS XL. Which, and like, I, I think, you know, m- most of what makes it tough is that you have to hold the thing with one hand. Yeah. Um, and really just like hold on to the left side of it. So even though it's not a heavy machine, um, <laughs> it's cumbersome. It, it's it's cumbersome. Yeah. So kind of what I'm doing is like uh, a little bit like, okay, so I like lie on my stomach on the floor or like on the bed. And, uh, you know, and then, uh, so it's a little bit like, you know, like I'm yeah. reading Teen Beat or something because, you know, I have my legs That's like right. basically like crossed behind me in the air. And then I've kind of like, I'm on my stomach. I kind of have it propped up on like a pillow like in front of me and so it's like so it's kind of like that but then like you can only you know like use your arms to prop you up for so long it's just it's really there's no i have found no good way to play this game in my home um but uh still making my way through it albeit slowly uh and of course there will be a full-fledged discussion about it next week thursday uh one one thing i did just want to interject with about it or like a, a a question um I have been playing the game with uh, the audio on the whole time um, because I feel like it is a uh, you know foundational 
part of the game is hearing the nonstop banter, um, which is like kind of well written or is like at least uh, reliably charming or enjoyable. And I'm, I'm just curious what your experience of that is so far. Yeah, I have been playing it with the sound on because I really like the music in this game for the most part. Yeah. And so I think that also adds a lot to it. Um, the dialogue and like the story, I guess like I don't mind it so far, which I feel like yeah. usually in a story, in most games, when it comes to story, I like cannot get past it fast enough. And this right now, it doesn't really bother me. Some of it is like, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it's, uh, I don't really feel one way or the other about it right now, I guess is what it comes yeah. down to. Um, in some ways, and I don't want to talk about this game too much right now, but in some ways, uh, it feels like Star Fox to me, um, where like I don't mind the ban the banter totally. between Pelutena and Pit in the same way I don't mind the banter between Fox and Peppy. Like, yeah, I just I I expect it. It's almost part of just like the soundscape. Totally, yeah, yeah, and just part of like the audio visual experience that is playing the game. Like, it's it's so much about spectacle, and some of that spectacle is like heroic music and some of it is lights flashing on the screen and some of it is like weird little jokes between these two characters like it it yeah it 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 builds to uh an interesting product if nothing else but again we're not talking about that (laughs) that's right that's right we are sworn to secrecy um for two more weeks oh i've also been playing pac-man 99 i'm putting a little bit more time into it so I think when we talked about it the first time, I said I was having a blast, but did not really understand the function of yeah. like some of the tools, some of the options. And so I actually, uh, there was a Reddit post that somebody wrote being like, hey, this is basically what everything does and like how the mechanics of the game work. And so I read it. And so I understand more like when I'm choosing between speed or strong or yeah. um, trail, like that kind of stuff, uh, what it is doing. But I have found that for me, Pac-Man 99 is like an interesting one of these like 99 type games because I feel like more than any of the other ones, my experience has been that I play it as like a single player game um, yeah. because I know that you're affecting what is happening on other people's screens and uh, they are affecting what's happening on your screen, but it doesn't really feel that way in the same day way to me that it does in like Tetris 99 or especially Mario 35. Um And so when I'm trying to focus on, like, the strategy of it, like, switching between speed and and strength and, like, all that kind of stuff, I feel like that I I do worse because I'm paying less attention to, like, the obstacles appearing on the screen. Yeah, and, like, I I feel the exact same way, where in, like, um, either uh, Mario 35 or Tetris 99, um, that I'm sort of, like, aware of how and when I'm being attacked uh, by, by other players. And in Pac-Man, I just assume that as we get later, there will be more obstacles. And, like, that's yeah. it. I just, like, I've, I've never played the game in a way where that doesn't happen or where I'm able to, like, beat back, uh, you know, the, 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 um, uh, you know, the, the red Pac-Mans or, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that, where, like, I basically play it like a single-player game. There is also, uh, it's good to know that there's a, a Reddit post um, Game Explain also has a, a nice quick video of like what each of the options are um, and what what they actually do for like you know uh, speed versus attack um, and then uh, what the different targeting options mean. Because the other thing I learned, which I did not realize, is like oh, if you clear a board of pellets entirely, 
you're <clears throat> you level up in speed. Yeah. And so that was I like told a, you I told you this last week. Oh, did you? I yeah. uh I, I I sort of misunderstood it though because I said that you get the level up in speed if you're set to speed. I didn't realize that setting yourself to speed means you go faster when you get a power pellet. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um uh yeah, so it, lots of like little intricacies to the game that I will probably never understand, but I am still enjoying my time with it. Um I also, you know, I picked up the Ask Iwata book that came out last week. And I said on the show before that, like, I didn't entirely understand what I was getting. And uh, what it turns out that I was getting is a, a biz, like a business book slash a retrospective on uh, Iwata's life. And it, it's really short. Like, it's, um, it's not a very long book. Uh, and so you can make your way through it pretty easily. Uh, and, but I think it's a fairly effective mix of, like, um anecdotes from his life and kind of understanding where he came from like uh in the first chapter you learn about his time at Hal laboratory and how you know he was made president of Hal very quickly under and when he took over the company it had an enormous amount of debt and so him having to like work through that it, it it's really interesting but also kind of leans heavily on the um like uh business nuggets or maybe not maybe you could just like ex you just extract that stuff if you're looking for it but yeah. i would recommend it uh, i saw i bought it at whatever price it was like initially announced at i saw that last week it like dropped on amazon to like 11 bucks and i definitely think um kind of at whatever price if you are interested in uh satoru iwata and his life it's uh really illuminating and it makes me appreciate you know I i've always uh admired him and you know and like i think that he's responsible for a lot of joy in my life through his work in nintendo but it made me appreciate his life like just holistically and so i i do yeah. recommend it that's great um yeah i uh, that's uh, i i mean he's certainly someone that uh i i admire as well uh so i should i should probably pick that up too um before we move all the way off of pac-man 99 i gotta know mark have you finished what what is what is your best highest finishing uh, My highest finish is, yeah. I think, three or four. So I have not won, um, but I'm feeling pretty good about myself be uh, because the highest I've ever finished in, like, Pac-Man, or sorry, not Pac-Man, that's the game we were talking about, is uh, right. the <laughs> highest I've ever played finished in Tetris 99 is maybe top five or maybe number five, but, like, I think generally, if I can get into the top ten, I'm feeling amazing. Um, how about you? How are, uh, how's Pac-Man I, I got it. I got a number one this morning. Nice. Congratulations. It, my, my first one. And, uh, you know, just like we were saying before, was not aware of what was going on. Like I was just <laughs> playing Pac-Man. I was just racking up ghost eats. You kind of have to. I, or at least that's how, that's how I've, that's the only way that I can really play it right now. Um, so I have also, been, I don't, I don't know how you want to treat this uh, because I have also been playing the Lost Vikings 2. I think uh, we should just get into it. Let's, okay, let's just get into it. It has been added to the Blizzard Arcade Collection um, along with another racing game that I'm never going to play. Um, but uh, Lost Vikings 2 was a game that uh, I had not had any experience with um, as a kid. Um, I, I love the original Lost Vikings, which is why I lost my mind when this Blizzard Arcade Collection came out um, and played through Lost Vikings and loved it. Um, and so uh, seeing that the sequel is out there, uh, was very excited to pick it up. Um, I think it's better than the first. I think like 
uh, a lot of the fat has been trimmed. The levels are a lot more smartly designed. Um, like instead of they're just like they're smaller levels, right? Like there's less sort of just screwing around, right? Of like, oh, and then the guy has to uh, the the one Viking that has the specific ability to get in here, um, that has to like walk all the way around. Like everything is just very streamlined and smart. Um, and also everyone has like a little bit, well, like a little bit of an extra ability. Um, there, the Vikings are turned into like cyborg Vikings early on <laughs> in, in this game, uh, which gives them weirder powers, but also every now and then one of them will be missing from a level. Um, so you just have to go through it with just two Vikings. And then there are other characters that you encounter along the way that have different abilities that are like sort of mashups of like other Vikings. So like there's one that is like a, a, a werewolf kind of guy who jumps so he's like uh, eric the red in that he jumps um and he also has a short range attack so he's like the one of them that attacks um and he can also like jump off walls so he has like a wall jump too um so like it's just it's just so neat that it keeps giving you different instead of like taking the same three three sets of abilities and making you figure out ways to solve uh you know environmental puzzles that way um they can remove one of your main vikings and replace it with like a different set of skills it's really cool i'm really enjoying it that's really yeah that does sound really cool and it's so cool that blizzard first of all that the art you know this arcade collection is 20 bucks to begin with and then yeah. what like a month after it was released they're like oh by the way here's two like fully complete two games. new games um so one one thing that when you're describing lost vikings like i've never played this game before and it sounds so much like a uh like a cool idea but one that I'm surprised was an arcade game. And one of the things that I associate with our... None of oh. these are. Got it. Because Blackthorn isn't either. Um, I, I don't... I don't know why it's called an arcade okay. collection. Okay, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Because when you're describing these games, I'm like, but arcades are all about like cheap deaths so you can have to like put quarters <laughs> right. in. And I was trying to like, like reconcile that with, um, you know, this like... Uh, platforming that sounds like really involved and so yeah um okay that uh is great to know confusing that it's part of the blizzard arcade collection but um when they're giving away games for free you know uh yeah, you can't ask too to many play. questions yeah um the uh there is a um like making of documentary for uh, like each of the three games that uh came with it um in the first place i haven't checked to see if there's um any of the like special feature stuff associated with the the two new games um but there is uh you know a a featurette about like the um the 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 studio as they were making lost vikings um and one of the things like one of the uh inspirations that they keep going back to is uh lemmings mm. so it's like it's like a puzzle platformer with lemmings as part of its dna um, and like that totally comes through and is like absolutely why I like that game as much as I do. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. Like even when you're describing how Lost Vikings plays like that. Yeah, that's really that's really cool. It's such a cool game. I love it so much. Um, all right. Uh, that's what we've been playing this week. Let's get into the new releases and what we might be playing next week. So before we get into this week's new releases, I wanted to talk about The Longing, which is a game that we discussed um, yeah, after its reveal in the Indie World Showcase. And this is the one where you play as like a little troll type thing, uh, a shade, mm -hmm. I think you're called. 
and you are basically waiting you wait 400 days for the earth king to um revive and what you do in those 400 days 400 real world days is kind of like up to you um and at the time i was like this sounds crazy it sounds kind of cool but i don't understand it at all and uh so i i did the thing that i rarely do and i actually did the research on this game so i feel responsible to share that mm. with people um, Please. who may not know and so basically it it is 400 uh real time 400 days in real time but what that means is that you can like even when the game is off the timer still runs so oh, okay. you could so you could theoretically like buy it turn it like start it and then leave it for 400 days and come back and see what happens that makes sense that explains why in the showcase they said you don't have to play this game you don't have to actually play the game to see the end that makes sense i yeah. couldn't wrap my head around that <laughs> during the the showcase yeah you just have to remember to come back like the whole it it's it the more i read about it the more like intrigued i am like the point of this game does not seem like it is you know to be necessarily like fun to play it is to it's almost like a ant farm in a sense, or it's like coming to terms with like delayed gratification and just waiting. Um, you know, like you will wait, the game will tell you, I'm basing this on like reviews and impressions that I read when uh, looking for more information, but like the game will tell you that in two weeks, this uh, stalactite is going to fall. And once it does, you will have like access to more spaces. Um, your little shade just kind of like shuffles around really slowly, but you can do things like uh, decorate his like home. And when you do it, like sh like anytime he's in the home, it like shaves seconds quickly off of the total time. Oh. Or there's like a little cold that if you can keep it lit as long as it's lit, it's shaving seconds off. Apparently, based on like uh, people have played the game and spent a lot of time exploring it, it is possible to escape. Um, but there's lots of like caves and things for you to explore. But like the your little guy is just like shuffling around really slowly. Like his movement is very slow. It's it's again, I am fascinated by this game. Like I think it's such an interesting idea. I think I'm gonna check it out. Do it, like, man. Yeah, Do it. Yeah. I'm really I'm into it. Do really it. Really interested by this. It actually it came out uh on oh and apparent so it came out on PC like last March, I think. And um uh, so people, I guess, pretty soon, if they haven't already, will uh, have hit the, like, 400 days. Yeah. But apparently there's, like, a mechanic in the PC one where if you try to mess with, the, with your, like, computer's clock, it basically just, like, ends the game, essentially. So mm. I think there's no cheat. There's no real good way to cheat it. I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, don't cheat it. That was one of my rules uh, for Sarah with Animal Crossing was... I, when she started playing, I was like, okay, we have two two rules on the island. One is we have a hamster named Apple, and I planted apple trees outside of her house. You cannot take apples apples. You can't do it. That's rule number one. Rule number two, no time traveling. That's it. <laughs> oh, I did see uh, that people on my friends list, a few people on my friends list had checked out the longing. So if you are one of those people and you are listening to this show, I would love to hear your impressions of us. Um, you can send those in to us and we'll read them on the show. Cool. Um, okay, moving on to new releases for this week. On Thursday, April 22nd, 
Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion is released on Switch. Um, this is a indie game that looks really fun. I know friend of the show June is looking forward to it. It's uh like it to me it looks a lot like a link to the past, but with some like interesting story elements. Um, and is this based on the um Yoshi commits tax fraud meme? I don't know. Maybe. Cause you know, there's this whole thing of like Yoshi doesn't pay taxes. Right. Uh it's a a meme from like two or three years ago. Um I and uh, seeing the title Turnip Boy commits tax evasion, I was like, wait a minute. Has a meme <laughs> become a video game? I think it might have. I think it might have. It p- totally possible. Um also on the Switch eShop on Thursday, uh the original Shantae game, the platformer from Way Forward, is releasing on Switch. And then also Picross S6 is releasing on the Switch eShop. This was was revealed, I think, like last week and uh, after we had already recorded. And there's a demo available for it. And I think all the other Picross games are on sale right now in celebration of Picross S6. So Picross Heads, there's a new game out there for you. Um, You know what this makes me think? It makes me think I should get Picross S2. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I should probably check all of them out, uh, especially if they are on sale. Okay, uh, those are the new releases. Let's close this out. Now it is time for a regular segment on our show. It is time for 433. A 1952 American composer, John Cage, wrote a piece called 433, wherein a performer or group of performers didn't play their instruments for 4 minutes and 33 seconds. For the purposes of this show, our instruments are talking about Nintendo, so... For the duration of one performance of 433, Mark and I will talk about something not at all Nintendo-related, thus fulfilling the contract of the piece. Uh, today, Mark, we are discussing a topic uh, generated by Benton and Brian for our 433 episode. They wanted us to talk about tech from the 2015 of Back to the Future 2 that we're disappointed we still don't have yet in 2021. Um... Uh, Mark, first of all, thoughts on Back to the Future 2? Um, let's see. Back to the Future 2, I have a very strong memory of going with my family to see it in theaters. And um, we left because uh, I think it was too scary for me. The part where, like, um, a very brief scene where they're in a graveyard and, like, lightning is flashing and all that kind of stuff. Wow. It was just really overwhelming. And so I didn't see the... F- finale of back to the future 2 for a m- many many years i saw back to the future 3 before i ever saw like the last third of back to the future 2 that's amazing <laughs> uh uh that's very good i i used to really like back to the future 2 um because i was like this is the only of these movies that's actually about time travel um that the the first and third are just putting the characters in a different uh era and then like the adventure is them getting out of it Whereas Back to the Future 2 has multiple jumps through time, has, you know, parallel realities. And like, I was very into that, those like sci-fi concepts, which I thought the only places you could get those were Back to the Future 2, um, which might have been true in like 1989 or whenever those movies came out, but certainly is no longer, no longer the case. Um, Okay. Is there anything that jumps to your mind like immediately as tech from Back to the Future 2 that you wish existed now, but doesn't? 
Um, well, I'm, I'm, so you included a list to uh, a Vulture article from 2014 where they talk about uh, technologies in Back to the Future 2 that are closest to reality when this was published in 2014. And one that they have listed here that I'm like, yes, this would be great, is robot gas stations. Um, they, <laughs> because it's like, yeah, who wants to get out of their car to pump gas? That should just yeah. be done for us. That should be done for us, but also we shouldn't be uh, putting gas into our cars. They should, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, they should all be uh, electric vehicles. Um, one thing that I am, uh, that, that they mentioned here uh, early, early on in the Vulture article is uh, flying cars. And I tell you what, a flying car stresses me out. <laughs> I don't, especially after the last year of not really going anywhere, um, driving at all stresses me out. Add another dimension to it, and like I just want nothing to do with it. <laughs> you know, the other one that um, I don't really want to have anything to do with is self-lacing shoes. I feel like that is just, and and I think it's, and I, I feel like it's like it. <laughs> I feel like it's just technology we don't need. Like, what sure. problem are self-lacing shoes uh, for the majority of people? Now, there, like, I'm sure there are use cases for it, but like for the majority of people, what problem? are self-lacing shoes solving especially that like velcro doesn't solve right like yeah right yeah um what about the uh self-drying jacket how about that one sure i'm into that i mean uh I, you know i love going to theme parks and if i had a self-drying <laughs> jacket i'd be much much more you know like willing right. to go on a water ride where i knew i was going to get soaked if i uh if it wasn't going to be a problem after that you know, another one that's on this list that I actually hadn't even thought about is uh, neon curbs, um, because, you know, the uh, curbs in the city are, like, lit up neon and Back to the Future, too. And uh, I don't know that we need it, but I think it would be cool. And I think that, because I think what we need to do as a society is, society is like, we got to rethink what cities are like. Um, we've basically been living yes. in the same yes. sort of cities for, like, 50, 60 years. And uh, I think it's time for some, like, new thinking on how cities could be. Yeah, and also, like, wouldn't it be nice if they were, uh, if curbs could be, like, color-coded with a light to, like, when you actually could park there? Yeah, that'd be awesome. Versus, like, you know, if, if there's any, like, confusing thing or, like, weird sign, if you pull up there and, like, the thing just turns red and you're like, oh, I guess I can't park here. <laughs> that would be nice. An, an indicator light uh, telling you where there's parking. Although it would, it would have to be dim enough that it wouldn't, like, so people wouldn't, like, <laughs> right, see it right. in their windows, right? <laughs> How do you feel about hoverboards? I feel like that's the big you know, like, uh, cool, yeah. like really cool thing, especially, you know, when I saw that movie as a kid, the hoverboard in Back to the Future 2 is awesome. Yeah, I mean, it would be cool to see people hoverboard, but, like, I'm never going to get on a hoverboard. No, absolutely not. Like, I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty sure how I would die is I would yes. try to ride a hoverboard and I would, like, fall and break my neck. Yeah, that's right. I, I would, look, I'm going to, like, hurt myself strapping a helmet on to, like, <laughs> get on the hoverboard. That's right. Self, self-strapping shoes? No. Self-strapping helmets so we don't kill ourselves Absolutely trying to get on the hoverboard? Not. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's going to strangle you. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, that is the end of that 433 performance. We were accompanied today by Future Workspace, I think. All right, Mark, let's get into the news. 
Last week, Nintendo revealed a new Switch Lite color. A new Yay! what they're a new what they're calling blue Switch Lite will be oh, released on May 21st, coinciding with the launch of Miitopia on Switch. Um, which I keep forgetting is the thing. Like the previous colors, the blue neon or Nintendo Switch Lite will retail for two hundred dollars. So same price, new color. Um, it's a the reason I say like it's blue in quotes is because I feel like everybody was comparing it to the GameCube, being like, oh, it's like th- yeah, the GameCube color. It's not. Everybody wants it to be the GameCube color, but it's not. It looks like it is like somewhere between like a true blue and the GameCube Indigo, but like it's it it is blue. Like for sure <laughs> it is it is blue. Yeah, definitely. Um Patrick, you know, when the Switch Lite was first revealed, I was itching to get one. Um, but I, you know, I let that pass and I haven't felt the need to get one, um, since then. I'm curious, uh, if the thought has ever crossed your mind since the release of the Switch Lite. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it crosses my mind every now and then, but I'm also like, you know, I, I, I don't really see what like the functionality of owning a second Switch is. Um, and like, I also am, I am anticipating buying a second Switch shortly totally when uh the uh, you know upgraded switch model comes out so like that'll be what it is if i find myself with an abundance of cash for like some strange reason maybe i'd uh look into getting a, a switch light but i just don't really know what the application is right now i do think of the four available colors at the time that this blue one comes out that the blue one is the best looking one totally um because like the yellow's a little like too loud and weird for me uh, and the coral's okay, but, like, I don't love it. And the gray is just sort of boring. Um, but, like, the blue feels like it has some personality, but it's not too, like, ostentatious at the same time. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it's it, it seems like a, a cool-looking Switch. Yeah, I, can, I agree. Developer... Um, ex- I, oh, sorry, well, go ahead. Hold on, I, I want to stay on it for a second, because I think it's so weird that they are timing this with the release of Miitopia. Yeah, like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, what? what are they doing i mean i guess it's not a bad time to release it i just don't i don't see like it it doesn't seem like there's any like synergy between the two yeah yeah that's right well and also it just like not only is there no like synergy between the two but it's just like in what world is metopia a driver of units for anything right it just yeah it's just confusing to me why put put this out at the end of april with uh pokemon snap like that's what you want to do yeah yeah Developer Extremely OK Games, which are the creators of Celeste, have announced their next game, which is a 2D explore action game, or that's what they're calling it, titled Earthblade. Um, And instead of dropping like a traditional trailer or anything, they premiered the game with a vibe reveal consisting of poster artwork and a new music track from composer Lena Rain. And they're saying right now, like, they have no idea when this game is going to release. and they're but they're expecting it to be a long time from now. But I've got to say, I personally am very into the idea of a vibe reveal. Let me know like the mood yeah. you want me to experience that I should be like expecting. And uh, I I thought that was like a really cool way to reveal their game. Yeah, arguably better than a trailer, right? <laughs> like, totally. Let, let me know what I'm gonna feel. Let me know what the aesthetic is. Play some music at me. Like that's what I want. 
Yeah. Like I was I'm imagining like uh you know if um Breath of the Wild 2 like sure like the trailer is awesome and everything but what if they were just like look we're uh we are developing a sequel to Breath of the Wild and instead of a traditional gameplay trailer for like the next like 2 minutes we're just doing this weird like sight and sound you know like light show that is just going to we just want you to like feel what this game is going to be like rather than see it. Ooh, I'm so I mean, into ar- that. Arguably that's what the uh, Breath of the Wild 2 teaser trailer was, right? Like we just saw some like subterranean stuff. We saw Link and Zelda together. We have no information about that game, but we think we know what it feels like, right? Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. But I'm like I want it real abstract, you know? I want it I yeah, want it real to be abstract, like maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I want it to be like a Pink Floyd like laser show where I'm just like I don't know what's going on, but I'm feeling everything. We're going to the planetarium and getting high. <laughs> to watch that. Um, look, that would be an E3 to remember. <laughs> um, so 2D exploration. Does is that like a like a secret of mana like or like what 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 does that read to you? Yeah, I don't know. The like uh the name Earthblade makes me feel like it's going to be um like exploration uh in like where it's like deep earth like you are like going like into a place like you're trying like um uh it's about like discovery is kind of what i take away from the mood um man i just i mean i'm since celeste was such a good and like such a complete and like whole experience um i am absolutely on board for just like whatever these guys do um you know I'm 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 just there. Like Celeste is is such a solid game from like a thematic standpoint and a um gameplay standpoint and from like an audiovisual experience. Like it just it hits on it hits on everything. I love it. Yeah. Like and I'm and uh around the announcement the uh you know one of the developers was talking about how it took them four prototypes before they finally hit on the idea for Earthblade. And nice. like I'm yeah, like that's how I feel too, where I'm like super excited that they are taking their time and just like found an idea that they're really excited about. Cause you can definitely tell that Celeste came from a place where like somebody had an idea of what this game yeah. should be. So yeah, I, I'm really excited for this. Very cool. Uh the Lego Mario set received a firmware update last week. And as part of that update, <laughs> people started noticing that like the Mario figure began calling out for Luigi. Um, and this led to speculation that a Luigi Lego set was coming soon. And as of this recording, there has been no official announcement, but a reveal seems imminent. Um, Amazon China is listing Adventures with Luigi for Lego Super Mario for release on July 9th. So I'm guessing any time now, we will have an official announcement from Lego. Um, not sure. It feels a little weird to me that they're like, I guess it's an yes. Easter egg. I guess it's not like straight up marketing, but it feels a little weird that that was included in the firmware. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I can't help but chuckle at the new Lego set received a firmware update. <laughs> like there's something just, just like on, <laughs> on, its, on its face. I find that to be an absurd statement. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does feel a little like marketing-y and like a little icky of like, don't you want Mario to have his friend Luigi around? Um, 
And then also, I resent the fact that it should be Luigi calling for Mario, right? <laughs> like that's the Luigi's Mansion franchise. Uh, like that's the the uh, the form of it is Mario and not Luigi. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's the cornerstone of which the Luigi's Mansion franchise is yeah. built. But no, it. Uh, I also like that. Um, just when you read it out loud, that Mario began calling out for Luigi. It sounds <laughs> sounds desperate. And like uh, a little bit like uh, scary, like uh, you know, like Mar, like Mario gra- uh, gained sentience and was yes. uh, <laughs> sudden, suddenly aware that uh, he was isolated from his loved ones. Um, yeah, the the firmware was an existential dread update that was installed <laughs> in the Mario, and now he has to cope with the reality that he's in alone yeah. by himself. Ah, uh, yes. So uh, it will be interesting to see what um, uh, horrors are eventually programmed into the Luigi figurine uh, when that is updated in a few months. Luigi's going to die someday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hallmark has revealed their gaming-themed holiday ornaments for 2021. It includes um, ornaments not just Nintendo-related, some Sonic ones. Uh, Minecraft Mortal Kombat Sub-Zero got an ornament, which perfect for the holidays, right? Uh, perfect for winter. Um, right. I don't know, Patrick, if you had a chance to look at these, but the one that looks so cool to me, like really fun, is the, there's a uh, like replica Super Nintendo with uh, the yep. Super Mario World game cartridge inserted and like controllers and everything. And th- that one looks like, oh, that one looks really cool. That one has a little light on it that you can turn on by pushing the power button like into the on Amazing, position. yeah. Um, yeah, there, there's also a uh, a Super Mario World Mario with with the cape on where he's like flying, and um, there's something about seeing that that character like modeled in a 3D where like you can see the front of the cape like going around the front of his neck where it's like oh weird like I don't know it, it felt uh, real in a way that I'd, I'd never really conceptualized before i would love a set of those too i think that would be really cool on a tree together yeah absolutely and i i felt the same way when i saw the super mario world stuff and i feel like it's because like we get you know like uh uh raccoon tail and tanuki suit mario totally. like yep. in 3d and uh toys and all that stuff like all the time but i i cannot imagine i can't remember uh, a time i've ever seen like a toy or a figurine for Super Mario World, like Cape Mario, and so it was like yeah. striking and really fun to see it rendered that way. Um, yeah, that that is interesting. I guess it's because it's not cute, right? Like you can put right. Mario in a cat suit or a raccoon suit, and he's cute, but like you put a cape on him, and it's like, well, all right, Mario. <laughs> yeah, know, it wasn't. Down. Yeah, totally. It wasn't until I saw that that like it was like, yeah, th- th- that feels like an amiibo that should have been. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Uh, these, uh, ornaments are usually come out in two waves. Like some of them are released in July. Some of them are released in October and some of them can be extremely hard to get. So if it's something you're interested in, I recommend, I guess, checking Hallmark's website and figuring out, uh, I was trying to figure out when some of this stuff was released and I found their website impenetrable, but I'm sure with some Google Kung Fu, you could make your way through it. Yeah. So I was also looking into this because I don't know, we're both the same kind of idiot. Um, but, uh, it's, it's my understanding that like Hallmark doesn't really run their, um, ornament department in the same way that we expect of like Amiibo or whatever. Like the, the, these things are going to come out when they come out, they're going to be available in the stores where they're available. 
or in the online places where they're available. Like they, it's it, this is going to be a hard thing to game, um, because they're just not that transparent and just not that. They, I guess, just not that transparent about the the supply chain for all all these ornaments. I guess that gives us all an equal shot, except I would have to figure out where like a Hallmark store is near us because I have no idea. Or, or you're gonna bookmark it. On, <laughs> like, Good point. It just yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, and, and you know what? They'll they'll all be on eBay. So, <laughs> uh, Patrick talked about this a little bit when we in what we've been playing when he talked about Last Vikings two, but the Blizzard Arcade Collection received a major free update last week. In addition to Lost Vikings 2 and RPM Racing, it also added a design documents gallery to the museum and a streamer mode for rock and roll racing um, and also for rock and roll racing, a four-player local multiplayer that lets you stream your gameplay with MIDI versions of the songs while still preserving the game sound. Uh, I, I'm, I guess that wasn't something that you could previously do. Right, and what what that is, and like that is related to the uh, the streaming streamer mode, is that the song, the music that is in uh, Rock and Roll Racing, will get you a trademark strike if you are streaming it on Twitch, Got it. Um, and will demonetize your video. Um, however, because you know, it's all like real rock and roll music. Um, oh, however, the MIDI versions of that are not the actual songs; they're not the actual recordings. Um, so you can. Uh, play those games and uh, put them up on YouTube and whatever and not have to worry about that being demonetized or whatever. That, okay, got it. That makes a ton of sense. The NPD group has released U.S. video games. Which actually, uh, w- oh, sorry, I want to go back to that for just one second. I'm sorry I keep uh, drawing you back into it. I think this is smart um, and something that other games should be doing. Um, like I know it's an issue with the Tony Hawk Pro Skater uh, remakes that like it's still the uh, you know original license tracks uh, for a lot of those games, which make or for a lot of those songs, which makes it a, an unstreamable game. Uh, and you know it's, it's while streaming isn't something that like you and I really get into, um, I think it's smart uh, for companies to be anticipating that sort of thing. I think so too, and th- th- this is such a creative way to solve that problem. It's yeah. not like they just like pull the music out to provide like MIDI versions of the song that won't get copyright struck. It, yeah, I agree. I think it's a great idea. Uh, the MPD Group has released U.S. video game sales data for March. Switch was the best-selling hardware by units and dollars again for the month. Monster Hunter Rise was the number two game for the month. And Mario Kart 8, when you combine the Switch and Wii U SKUs, is now the best-selling racing game of all time. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. I think I think that Mario Kart Wii was the previous best-selling, and probably still is the best-selling if you separate like the Wii U sales of Mario Kart 8 and the Switch sales of Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. I personally kind of think it's weird to treat them as one game. Like, I know that the tracks are the same, but it feels like, you know, with, like, the uh, the ability to have two items and, like, all that kind of stuff, I don't know why. To me, that, like, feels like it's a, it'd be like counting um, uh, Tropical Freeze and Tropical Freeze, uh, I can't remember what the Switch edition is called, but um, maybe just the I think it's just called Tropical Freeze. <laughs> I don't even think they was it the, the Funky name of that Kong game. edition. I can't remember Funky edition. I, mean, there I can't was, remember. There was a Funky mode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. But I mean, like, I, I think you know, for uh, for sales purposes, all versions of Street Fighter Two are considered the same game. 
mm. um, which is not you know a- like a- accurate to the the way they play or the way they feel, uh, especially from people like inside the Street Fighter community. So yeah, I guess if uh, if if you're still calling it uh, Mario Kart Eight, like if it's a numbered entry and just like it's still eight, um, it's just like the deluxe version. I get it makes sense. Yeah, that's a good point. I think like. Maybe. For Resident Evil games, Capcom, uh, when they re- re- release sales numbers for like the entire franchise, it's combined editions. Um, yeah, for the most part, for like Resident Evil Four and Six and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, fair point, fair point, fair point. Um, um I had a question about Monster Hunter Rise being the uh, number two game of the month, um, which is already uh, you know uh, an impressive showing for a Monster Hunter game on on, on Switch. Um, that's without digital sales, right? So th- I actually think Monster Hunter Rise 2 or Monster Hunter Rise is with digital sales because it's published by Capcom mm. and I believe that they we go. include digital sales. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Back in January, longtime Nintendo employee Takeya Imamura retired after 32 years uh, at the company and is now a professor at the International Professional University of Technology in Osaka. Uh, Imamura worked on heavy-hitting franchises such as The Legend of Zelda, Smash Brothers, Star Fox, F-Zero, and he was the designer of Tingle. Uh, you might remember we talked about his retirement back in January when, it, when he announced it. But IGN just recently published a retrospective interview with Imamura, and it's really, really good. I, I'll uh, link to it in the show notes. We'll make sure to link to it in the show notes because everybody should go read it. Uh, but I'm just, I just want to go over some highlights from it. Great. So Imamura didn't intend to make games. Uh, he studied art in college and didn't know how to use a computer at all. He said he had never touched a keyboard before he started working in Nintendo. But he loved video games and played a lot of Super Mario Bros. 3 in college. So he thought he might be able to help like, draw like, the game packaging and instruction, instruction booklets. So he wrote the address in the Super Mario Bros. booklet um, to Nintendo inquiring about a job. Uh, Amazing. And after after he was hired during new employee orientation, Miyamoto like popped in on the new hires and told them that they'd be working on Super Metroid. So that's how Imamura learned that he was hired to make games. It was just like, oh, okay, like I am now a game creator. God, that's so cool. I love like that, and especially that uh, uh, Miyamoto is the one telling him this. Like, oh, by the way, you're making uh, Metroid, um, because he also comes from like an art background. Um, like from a cartooning background um, and it's just interesting to I mean I guess in a world before a video game industry where do people who make the games come from um, and you know I guess in one sense it makes sense that like the computer programmers would be those people but it's like well maybe it's also just like the artists and weirdos that like want to make stuff totally totally and speaking of the artists and weirdos Imamura is the creator of Tingle uh, our yep. beloved character from The Legend of Zelda and we have him to thank for the generous helping of Tingle that we get in The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker, like uh, Tingle Tuner, Tingle has an island in the game, etc. Uh, Imamura was involved with Wind Waker during the planning phase before having to focus more of his time on uh, Star Fox Adventures, working with Retro- or Rare? Rare. Working with Rare. Um, yeah. but, but so in the interview, he like laughingly says, like, you have me to thank for uh, so much Tingle in wind waker uh and obviously we are big tingle fans here 
Um, I it's a it's crazy to me that they haven't revisited like having Tingle be a, a an integral part of your adventure since then, right? Like, uh, he's he's a, a big meaningful part of Majora's Mask, um, an even more meaningful part of Wind Waker, and then we just sort of like drift away. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that uh, Nintendo. I mean, honestly, the the world has changed a lot since Wind Waker, right? And totally. like, uh, players in the like outside of Japan did not appreciate Tingle. Tingle was ahead of his time, and right. uh, I think uh, yeah. the reaction to him from a lot of players in Wind Waker was really negative at the time. But I think the world is ready for more Tingle, and uh, I would I would love to see Tingle get a new, like, dedicated game. That would be such a great, like, um, Zelda 35th anniversary, like, oh hey, we're God. just going to have this, like, weird downloadable, like, puzzle game that is hosted by yes. Tingle. Like, something like that I would die for. I feel like the world is queer enough that, like, Tingle yep. is ready for his moment in the spotlight in a way that yeah. just wasn't true when uh, Wind Waker originally came out. Yeah, I, that 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 is, like, 100% dead on, like, yeah, just the the world just wasn't queer enough, just wasn't weird enough, and like we're there now. Like we want our we want that sort of thing in our fandom, in 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 our games. Um, yeah. So bring on the tingle. Uh, finally, the quote about F Zero from this interview that launched a thousand articles. Uh, from IGN's retrospective, I'm just going to quote it directly. Um, quote F Zero GX, the GameCube game, was highly praised by media outlets and became a fan favorite title for many Nintendo fans. Imamura himself calls it the ultimate F-Zero, but after that, nearly 18 years have passed without a new entry in the series. Quote, of course, I've thought about it many times, but without a grand new idea, it's hard to bring it back, Imamura says, assuring IGN that his departure from Nintendo does not mean that the series is dead. Uh, I mean, if he called it the ultimate F-Zero, that is definitionally the last one. So, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it, I feel like it's, that, I feel like that is the answer that we have heard from Miyamoto, that's the answer now that we're getting from Imamura, like, people involved with these games, where it's just like, I know that Nintendo is a very, it's like a big company, but like, it's actually relatively small compared to the other, like, monolithic yeah. um, video game developers. And I think it is a lot of like opportunity cost. It's like we could make another F Zero, uh, or we could have focused our attention on things that we feel like are more exciting and new. The one thing I would like to see, I mean, I'm I'm personally like not a huge the world's biggest F Zero fan, but I do think it would be fun if they partnered with like a third party, you know, because which they've been doing more and more to like bring back some of these licenses. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And like, uh, weren't a lot of the um, F Zero games also like co-developed by Sega anyway? Like, I, I think th this one, I believe this one was. Yeah. Uh, and then there's like an arcade one, I think that was developed by Namco. But you're right. I mean, it's been a while since like, uh, and maybe the the actually now that I'm saying this out loud, the Game Boy Advance one might have also been developed by a partner. But yes, to your point, I think that's definitely true. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, it it would it would be nice to see it come back in like whatever form it's it's weird to to read like um that they without having a what it was a grand new idea um when it's like well like mario kart keeps coming back without like a grand <laughs> new idea or like what was the grand new idea in like mario tennis aces like 
just make a just make a new one. <laughs> Everyone would be happy with that. Yeah, I, I I also feel like it's a generational thing a little bit. Like totally, I hate I hate to everybody can take a shot because I'm about to bring up Star Wars in the episode. But you know we've talked about before where it's like yeah, like George Lucas was with Star Wars for so long that he didn't he had no interest in repeating himself. Right, he always wanted to use Star Wars right. to push technology or do new things. And um and so I can understand if you're like somebody who has been working on Metroid, somebody who's been working on these franchises. Uh, I guess uh, Paper Mario is another great example of it. It's like a lot of those same people have been making Paper Mario games since the first one. So I can understand them not wanting to do it. But I do think if you gave a franchise like F-Zero, Sonic Mania is another great example of this, to people who grew up loving it, that they would Mm -hmm. be able to deliver that sort of like love letter to the franchise that I can understand that people who have worked on it for 30 years are just like not that interested in providing. Well, and like also just from uh, like an audience perspective, um, that if if Nintendo isn't supporting their uh, back catalog, you know, outside of the games that appear in the NES uh, Switch Online and the Super NES Switch Online um, at all, like there's value in just making a new version of the older games, um, even if you're not making radical changes, like even if you're just giving a a 2021 version of the game. Um, I was uh, having a conversation with some friends this last week about um the continuity in the like the first two decades of james bond movies right in the sean connery george lazenby roger moore um era of of these movies and just being like how how like how is the continuity between these things so messed up um and and it's like well uh if you if you're gonna see dr no in the theaters in you know 1963 and then like you know two years later like you don't have you can't see Dr. No anywhere. Like there's nowhere for you to watch the movie. Uh, tapes don't exist. VCRs don't exist. So like when Goldfinger comes out, you're just going to go see Goldfinger. Cause it's like the James Bond that's available to you. Um, so like, I feel like the same thing is true of F zero. Um, there is no, what F zero game are you going to play right now? If you own a switch, the original and yeah. that's it. Yeah. Yeah. It is weird that they like, and you know, this is a problem with games in general. That uh, yeah. it, it's so the it's so hard to play old games because they're not like preserved and continually put on like new platforms very consistently outside of the heavy hitters. I do I do wonder. This feels like a genre that, and maybe it exists because again, this is kind of outside of my interest. So maybe there are indie games that you know like um, try to capture the spirit of F Zero. But like it feels like something that an indie developer could do really well like a racing game set in the future with a bunch of like crazy characters that are um you know the the pilots of the cars like uh it feels like there's an opportunity there because there's clearly um a lot of demand yeah i mean i I wonder if it just falls into the um like category of like people accept no imitators like because you also don't really see uh people making like star fox style games right like there's just something yeah, like it, it just I I I think there are some things that like are just uh less easy to like kind of iterate on or like do your impression of um you know we see uh, Metroidvania or like platformers even like 3D platformers like we kind of see that um uh, all, all all the time like from all directions in uh you know from like big AAA publishers and from indie studios and I think there are like some corners or like some avenues of that like old nintendo magic 
that people just like don't really do like you don't see punch out imitators right like yeah that's true that's a good point yeah, but maybe but maybe it's we should weird. maybe we just hit on a like a million yeah. dollar idea yeah or like a million dollar in debt idea <laughs> <laughs> too bad i don't have the skills or talent to explore this further um <laughs> finally speaking of uh, a game that imamura worked on it at nintendo super metroid is 27 years old uh wow <laughs> the game released april 18th 1994 in north america um i didn't realize that it was kind of like a later super nintendo game but i guess it makes sense yeah i mean it's yeah yeah it's uh i i can always close my eyes and picture the like first couple seconds of that game after you turn it on um, and 1994 is one of the dates that, like, one of the things uh, that flashes up on the screen. Uh, and then it says Metroid 3, which the game never, in any other capacity, refers to itself as Metroid 3. Um, but right, right there it does. And I can hear the little, like, in the music when it says Metroid 3. Yeah, man. Uh, if you are interested, go back to our um, episode from last April when we were doing Retro Month based all around Super Nintendo classics. And uh, Super Metroid was one that we played through and had a really good discussion on. So you should go out and check that out if you haven't already. Um, I may or may not have admitted that the game is not perfect, which hurts me because I think it's my favorite game ever made. (laughs) All right, Mark, let's get out of the news. Okay, that is going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you like the episode, please share it on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you share stuff. It helps us out a bunch when you do that. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell, and the show is at Nincart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by 8BitBetty. You can get more of his music by going to 8BitBetty.com. Or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Eller saying we will all meet at the observatory for the laser show uh, and get high. But we all got to be vaccinated first, all right? Get vaccinated. Thank you for listening. Rachel, do you like Disney movies? Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen all of them? Yeah, we saw all the Disney animated movies. And we saw all the Pixar animated movies, too. How about the DCOMs? What? What? The Disney Channel original movies. You should listen to our podcast, Inside the Disney Vault, because we are watching all of them in chronological order. Yeah, and we do fun segments like we cast each other. That's right, and my favorite segment, Zaddy Watch, where we rank every single DCOM daddy. Ooh, you can listen to all this fun stuff on our podcast, Inside the Disney Vault on Campfire Media, wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, guys, let's get back in the vault. It's cold out here. (laughs) Campfire.